Welcome to the Thrive City Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to check us out. At Thrive City Church, we want you to experience a thriving life with Jesus. Wherever you are listening from, we hope that you find this message hopeful and encouraging. Hey, good morning, Thrive City family. Wherever you may be right now, I want to thank you for choosing to spend a moment with us. You need to know that you are not alone. All across the city of Syracuse, there are people just like you who are a part of the Thrive City family. There is always room for you here. Regardless of your past, we want to be a part of your future. If you are new around here, my name is Pastor Ben. I have the honor and the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Thrive City. And today, we are launching a new collection of talks that centers around a specific chapter of the Bible, James chapter 1. My hope is in the time that we spend together this morning exploring this passage that it would be both hopeful and helpful. The book of James is an incredibly powerful book, and I believe that God has something special in store for us as we explore his word together. You see, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and although it was written thousands of years ago, it is still applicable to our lives today in the way that we live. One of the reasons why I love the book of James so much is because of how no-nonsense it is and how practical its truth can be. The author, James, isn't messing around or wasting time. He gets straight to the point and he teaches us some incredibly valuable things about how we should live, how our lives as Christ followers should be. So let's begin our time together in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this moment that we are able to spend together. We ask that you would speak to us today through your word. Like scripture says, it is living, it is active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword that cuts deep, dividing our soul and our spirit. May it do a work within us. We worship you this morning as our sustainer, as our provider, no matter what trial or test or temptation that we are faced with, you are in control. And we believe that you have better things in store for our lives. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, we pray, amen. When I was younger, my family lived close to the valley on the south side of Syracuse. And one of my favorite things to do was to go up to the Corcoran track and field that was near our house. And I would ride my bike or I would go sledding or I would play around on the field. It was this beautiful open space, a great place for kids to play. And one day, my dad took my brother and I up to the track to fly a kite. There's just something so magical As a kid, seeing a kite take off into the sky, soaring higher and higher above your head. Well, the best part about this story, about this memory that I have, is the amount of string that my dad brought with us. It wasn't just the little string that comes with the kite that you buy at the drugstore 
or at the toy store, it was probably 500 feet or so. But to me, as a young child, it felt like this kite string was miles and miles long. So as the kite lifted off the ground and as my brother and I continued to take turns, letting the kite out further and further, it turned into this little speck in the distance. To me, like I said, it felt like it was miles away, that it was probably further than my house or or the school and that it was going to be gone forever. Actually, we let it out so far that we had a difficult time bringing it back in. Our arms got so tired that my dad had to get a drill to, to automatically wind everything back up and to get the kite back home. But every time I flew a kite as a young child, I, I would love doing this. I always wanted to see what would happen if I let it go. If I cut the string, if, if I let it go by itself, how far would the kite go? In my imagination, I could see the kite being unencumbered by the string, holding it back, just taking off and going up into the clouds, never to be seen again. Because if the kite could go that far with that much string, imagine how much farther it could go without a string holding it back. But if you know anything about kites, you know that that is not how things work. That's not the case. The string that is holding the kite back that you hold onto as it goes further and further into the sky is the very thing that allows it to fly in the first place. It is the very thing that gives it the tension and the resistance that it needs to overcome gravity. And without that string, the kite is useless. It would probably flap and wave in the wind as it slowly fell to the ground. But the kite has no power without the string holding it back. Maybe you felt something similar in your life. Maybe it feels like there is something that you're struggling with or you're dealing with that is tying you down or is holding you back. And you're thinking to yourself that life would be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with this anymore. Sometimes we view our lives like this kite and we wish that we weren't held back by these different troubles in our lives and we'd be able to achieve so much more without them. This morning, one of the things that we're going to talk about is that those problems in our lives, much like the string holding back the kite, those problems actually serve a purpose. You see, much of our Christian growth and our spiritual progress can be credited to our trials and our testings and the different things that we go through and experience. And if God were to simply remove those from our lives, Our lives would be like a kite with no string. We would be wobbly and weak. So today we're going to learn about how God is able to turn these things that oftentimes feel like a burden in our lives. We're going to explore how God is able to turn those into blessings. The book of James that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks is a wonderful book. Like I talked about before, it is incredibly practical and useful to our daily lives. Well, there are some who say that the book of James approaches our relationship with God in a different way than we read about in other parts of the New Testament. 
the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament, a lot of those different letters that are only a couple chapters long, he tends to place a huge emphasis on the grace of God. And rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. Like Paul says in the book of Ephesians, we are saved by grace through faith, not through our works, lest any of us should boast. Now, all of a sudden, we get to the book of James, and there seems to be an emphasis on something a little bit different. Works, the way that we live, the way that we conduct our lives. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that the apostle Paul and James are disagreeing? Does this mean that there is conflict within scripture? Absolutely not. I would argue that both Paul and James are approaching the same thing from a slightly different standpoint and point of view. There is belief and there is behavior. There is words and there is work. There is faith and there is fruit. So the Apostle Paul and James are both approaching our relationship with God in the same way, but focusing on slightly different aspects of it. So the author of this book, James, is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, this is something really interesting. And my non-scholarly opinion is that James developed this understanding about the importance of works is because he grew up with Jesus. He lived with the guy. There were those who traveled with Jesus and followed him in his teachings, but James grew up with him. He was his half-brother. And while initially James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, eventually he saw the connection between the things that Jesus was teaching and how he lived his life, the way that he treated people the way that he loved his family and his friends and his loved ones and the way that he handled stress and conflict and arguments and disappointment. So we're going to be reading a few short verses out of the book of James beginning in chapter one, verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen. Today we're going to examine these verses to see what James breaks down into three different parts, the problems, the process, and the purpose. The beginning in verse two says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Man, how was this for an introduction? Like I said, James is no nonsense. He gets right to the point. He launches into his letter like he's late for a meeting. He's like, hey, what's up? My name is James. Greetings. Hey, life is messed up. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to act? Be joyful. He gets right to the point. And even in this short sentence in verse two, we're able to learn some important truths. James here is beginning his letter by reminding us of two different things. The reality that we face 
and what our reaction should be. In this verse, James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy or consider it, it joyful when you meet trials or troubles. You might be thinking, what? Why? Why should I be joyful when I experience difficult things in my life and I go through these different things? That, that is not what I signed up for at all. Well, we are going to continue unpacking this idea in the following verses. But James is trying to get us to realize that there is a purpose to be found in the problems of life. It is really important for you and I to understand that the issue is not if we will have problems, but when. It is only a matter of time. Our relationship with God does not somehow make us exempt from the reality that we live in the midst of a broken world. I, I honestly used to struggle with this idea quite a bit when I was younger. I would have these powerful encounters with God at church or, or at youth group or at summer camp. And then I would go back home to my real life and I would struggle with the same temptations or bad habits or issues or different difficulties that I was working through. And I was under this impression that the closer to God that I got, that the better my relationship with him was, the fewer problems that I would have. So when things in my life began to get difficult, I started to question God and not the different things that I was going through. What I want you to understand from this first verse, verse two, is that you are not the problem. You are not the problem. The presence of pain in your life does not mean that you have somehow gotten something wrong or that God is punishing you. It's just a part of life and living in the midst of a broken world. Being a Christian is not about removing ourselves from every problem. It's about relying on God to help us persevere through every problem. Do you see the difference there? So James is saying, find joy in the journey, in the midst of trials, because they are a part of something so much bigger. God is at work through them. Make no mistake. Life is difficult. Things can be hard. There are going to be times where we feel overwhelmed and overburdened. We think to ourselves, how in the world am I supposed to find joy in the midst of this? Just remember the joy that James is talking about here does not come from the difficulties. It comes from the one who can deliver us. We have a future hope that eases our present hardship. Ooh, ooh, this will preach. This is what James is talking about. And he continues on in verse three saying, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we've learned about the reality of the problems in our lives and the reaction that we should have to those problems. And now James is showing us that those problems are actually part of a bigger process. He says, you already know this, but I'll tell you again anyway. 
that these trials that you are going through, these difficulties in your life, they're uh, uh, testing your faith. And this testing produces steadfastness or endurance. You see, God is not trying to bend us until we break. He's not putting us to the test in the sense that he hopes that we will fail, that we will mess up. He is allowing us to experience these tests and trials as a proving ground for the different things that we believe. This, in that tension, is where our beliefs must match our behavior. Right, The difference between Paul and James, uh, faith and works, belief and behavior, words and works. Faith in your head is a lot different than faith in your hands, lived out in your life. Maybe you can resonate with this. In school, I had a really, really hard time learning through lectures sitting there as the teacher taught and went through a PowerPoint presentation or as we read through a textbook. I would always space out, I would get distracted, and I had a hard time honestly staying awake. For me, the best way to learn is by doing something, by having some sort of hands-on experience that keeps me engaged. Well, the same thing can be said about our spiritual lives. It is one thing to simply know about Jesus or to have head knowledge of what the Bible says or to believe in him. It is a completely other thing to have those beliefs put to the test and exercised in real life situations. For example, in the Bible, the apostle Peter loved Jesus. There are verses where he said that I will follow you, even if it means following you to the point of death, I will go with you. In the story of Jesus walking on water as he approached the disciples who were in the boat, Peter called out to him and he said, Jesus, if that is really you, let me come out to you. Let me walk on the water out to you. It was one thing for Peter to know Jesus and to walk with him and to listen to his teaching and to understand what he was saying. It was another thing for Peter to put that faith into action and take a step out of the boat. For you and I, the problems in our lives are a part of this process that serves a greater purpose. See, the trials that we experience put our faith to the test. And it provides an opportunity for us, like Peter, to step out of the boat, to allow our behavior to back up our beliefs. It helps complete the picture. So find joy knowing that God is at work in your life. That life is a process. He is strengthening you. He is building you up. Remember, that the problems we face are part of a process of faith that serves a purpose. In the following verse, in verse 4, James tells us what that purpose is. Verse 4 says, Let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Here, James explains the purpose of all of this, saying, consider it joy when you experience trouble in life because it is a test and it refines your faith. It produces endurance in your life and endurance will help you mature spiritually. Right, we all know the saying that practice makes perfect. Those of you who are athletes understand this. You cannot simply go out and run a marathon just on a whim. And maybe some of you can, but the majority of us cannot. In order to run a race or to break a personal record in weightlifting, you have to practice, you have to build up to that. Well, the same thing can be said of our spiritual lives and our faith. These tests and these trials that we go through help work our spiritual muscles and lead us to maturity, building up that endurance. The truth is that God allows us to experience trials in our lives, not to impair us, but to improve us, not to destroy us, but to develop us more and more into who he wants us to be. You see, endurance leads to maturity. And James isn't saying that you will never struggle with pain or problems ever again. He's saying that you will be built up that you will become more mature, that you will be more prepared and more equipped. I'm not sure who needs to hear this right now, but Jesus is able to turn obstacles into opportunities. Life is messy, but it leads to maturity. Right now, you might be feeling ill-equipped or overwhelmed by different things in your life. And I don't have a quick fix for your problems, but I hope that I can help shift your perspective, even just a little bit. The things in your life that you are viewing as obstacles that are standing in the way and stopping you from experiencing a thriving life, those things can actually be used by God as opportunities for you to grow, to experience more of his grace that can lead to spiritual maturity. Listen, our values determine our evaluations. If you value comfort more than character in your life, different tests and trials are going to upset you. And it's going to be difficult. If you value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, it's going to be hard to count it all joy when you experience different things. If we live only for the present and we forget about the future, that future hope that God has for us, these trials are only going to make us bitter, not better. For we have a future hope that eases our present hardship. So that is how you are able to find joy in the midst of trials because you know that God is at work in your life and he gives us joy because our problems are a part of a process that serves his purpose. This week, I would encourage you to examine obstacles in your life, the trials, the tests, the temptations that you are facing. Ask God to show you the opportunities where you can grow, where you can mature, where you can become more of who God wants you to be. 
as a church, we want to be a people who embody this truth in everything that we do. Like Romans 12, 12 says, we want to be a church that is able to rejoice in hope, that is patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. I know this for a fact. Our church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. There's going to be difficult times that we have to journey through together. But I am convinced that God has called us together for such a time as this, and that he has greater things in store for us. For this reason, we are able to find joy, even in the midst of COVID and digital church and all the difficulties that it presents. I know that God is able to use these problems in our lives as he walks us through this process that serves a better purpose. I know that he's building us up and preparing us for what lies ahead. Let me pray with you as we close our time together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person that has joined us today, that is hearing the sound of my voice, that has heard the truth of your scripture today. We ask that you would do a work in our lives, that Jesus, we would be able to be authentic and transparent about the struggles that we are facing, knowing that you can work in and through them, leading us closer to you, building us up, making us more mature. Help us to see that those obstacles in our life are not wasted. They are opportunities to experience your grace. So Jesus, open our eyes to the things that you are doing in our lives. Allow us to see where you are at work in the mess of our lives. Jesus, I ask for comfort and for peace for those who are struggling, that are watching this, that are feeling overworked or overwhelmed, that they feel burdened too much, that, that they feel like they can't go any further, that they feel like they just want to give up. I ask that you would be with them. Help them to know that they have a church and a family that loves them, that cares for them. But more importantly, they have a God that loves them, that will never leave them, that will never forsake them. God, we thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. We want to empower you to take the next step towards a thriving life with Jesus. If you're looking to get more connected, head over to our website, thrivecity.church connect. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and we would love to connect with you. 